As the children exit, I'll invite you to find 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in your Bible. You'll want to look at the passage as we work through it this morning, so find that passage in your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible in front of you, I bet. We're going to read together 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. We won't cover all of those verses this morning. It'll take two Sundays to cover it. But we'll read the whole passage so we get the whole idea. And I'll let you remain seated because it's kind of a lengthy passage. 1 Corinthians 2, beginning at verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Remember, Paul has just been emphasizing that he did not come bringing the gospel with the wisdom of men. But he says in verse 6, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for giving us your word. And I trust that you have guided us, these specific individuals that you brought here this morning, to this specific passage. Lord, help us to receive this as a word from you. Help us to see it for what it is and be transformed by it. Help us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds this morning as we meditate on this passage. Help me to serve your people well. Lord, give us supernatural, Holy Spirit-informed understanding of this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. In order to orient us to what Paul is talking about here, I want you to think about evangelism and discipleship. I don't know how comfortable each and every one of you is with those two terms. Um, Generally speaking, evangelism is is the, uh, the act or the practice of telling people the good news of Jesus Christ. Evangelism 
is what a Christian does with non-Christians in proclaiming good news. Jesus died for your sins. You don't have to live in your sins and be enslaved to your sins. And you don't have to die separated from God. Through Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven and cleansed and adopted and made new. So repent from your sins and turn toward God through Jesus Christ. And trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins. And follow him as your Lord because he not only died on the cross, but he rose from the grave and he's alive. That message, giving that to, to non-Christians, non-believers, that's evangelism. Okay, discipleship is very closely akin to evangelism. They're very much attached. Um, you can't separate the two, but they are a little different. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, not go and make converts of all nations. So when you do that evangelism and, and this individual at work, is saved and gives their life to Jesus Christ and wants to trust and follow him, you don't just say, all right, check that off of your list and walk away from them. You want them to get in part of, to be part of a church and to grow. Uh, you don't want them to remain baby Christian. You want them just like a child. You want to grow physically. You want them to grow spiritually. So discipleship is the process of, of helping one another be students of Jesus Christ. Helping one another be followers of Jesus Christ. Helping one another grow in our knowledge of of the things of God and the things of Christ. And our walking in our new nature as saved Christians. You can kind of see there's these two different ideas. You guys with me? Okay, good. Um, What Paul has been talking about up to this point has mainly been focused on evangelism. What we've talked about since we've gotten into Corinthians and he's been dealing with this division in the church about all these different fan groups springing up, fan clubs over different church leaders and some saying, well, I follow Paul. Some saying, I follow Apollos, who was a really gifted teacher of the time. Some saying, I follow Cephas. Some saying, I follow Christ. And they're branching off for these different leaders of which one seems the most awesome to them. And Paul is saying, that kind of thinking has no place in the Christian church at all. Remember when I came to you, when I first brought the gospel to you, and I first came evangelizing and planning this church, I did not come in a magnificent display of human wisdom. I came in simplicity and even fear and trembling, and I decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. He came in a way that specifically stepped out of the world of human wisdom and, and persuasion, which they so loved in that culture, and came in simplicity, which was looked at as folly by the community of that day, by the culture of that day. He's been talking about evangelism, but here at verse 6, he shifts and starts talking about discipleship. And that's the transition we need to make in our thinking as well. So picture it kind of like a house, a door. And then the house that that doorway leads to. Paul has been saying that the doorway into Christ does not look all bedazzled and bejeweled and fancy. It's a straightforward, simple doorway. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Okay, now once you accept that invitation into that doorway, inside the house is magnificently glorious. And we're now through the doorway. We're going to look at the inside of the house, what we get to enjoy as Christians, the wisdom we get to enjoy as Christians. So evangelism is simple and unadorned. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's not lofty speech. 
In human wisdom, it's not human strength, it's not persuasion, it's the stark, simple message of Jesus Christ. doesn't matter how much you dress it up. The power is just the gospel. Discipleship is, is the house. It's more vast. It's more glorious. It's, it's where the wisdom is, the secret and hidden wisdom of God revealed by the Holy Spirit. Inside the house is where we see what Paul sees in Romans 11.33 when he writes, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. So we want to turn from considering the doorway, the evangelism, to the house. The, the, from the seeming folly yet spiritual power of the gospel to um, the secret and hidden wisdom of God as revealed by the Holy Spirit. So before we launch into the passage, we need to clarify what we're talking about when we talk about wisdom. Um, that first word in verse 6, yet, is a big clue as to what Paul is referring to here. Remember in verse 2 of chapter 2, he says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then in verse 6, yet, among the mature, I decided to know more than that. In verse 5, he says, you know, I did all this so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men. And then in verse 6, he says, yet, among the mature, we do impart wisdom. So when you become a Christian, you're not only forgiven and guided, but you're welcomed into a relationship with the God of the universe. And a whole lifetime of learning the ever-unfolding glories of this God. You know, I've talked to my children about this, and I've talked to people in this church about it, in the youth group, there's a concern that heaven is going to be this boring place where we're all wearing diapers and playing harps in the clouds, like the cartoon versions of angels that we've seen. And it's the thought of, are we just going to be singing hymns for eternity? Is it going to be just like sitting here singing hymns for the rest of my life? And people just are kind of disgusted by that thought if they're honest with themselves. I don't think we're just going to be singing hymns for the rest of our life. I think eternity is going to be the never-ending enjoyment of the glories of God. I don't think we're ever going to get to the end of learning more about the glories of God. In this lifetime as Christians, we just get a start on that. And that's the wisdom Paul's referring to. It's the, the growing knowledge of God and the things of God and his ways. That's what it means to mature as a Christian. He says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I think he has kind of the same idea of that wisdom in mind there. Hebrews 5, 14 through 6, 1, the author writes, Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. It's this idea that you don't just want to stand in the threshold of Christianity and only believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and then put that in your pocket like a get-out-of-jail-free card. 
It's this idea that you want to proceed into the house. You want to proceed into the ever-growing enjoyment of God himself. You know, a pastor I read often gave a really helpful illustration of this. It was helpful for me anyway. He talks about arguing with his wife and him saying something dumb and being in the wrong. And if you are married, maybe have done something like this before. Uh, and if you're not sure, ask your spouse and they'll inform you if you have. Something happens and it fractures that relationship. And it doesn't just have to be with spouses, but that's just a good example. Something happens and it fractures that relationship. And somebody has said something in the heat of the moment that hurt the other person. And until that gets resolved, there's this icy chill in the air. And, you know, you might sit down and eat dinner together, but it's, the conversation is stilted and awkward and eye contact doesn't really happen. And it's eventually, ideally, the, the spouse in the wrong, uh, usually the husband, um, would go and say, listen, I'm sorry. I said this. I shouldn't have. This is what's true. Will you please forgive me? Okay, and the wife forgives, and they come together, and, and that frostiness is gone. Now, what does the husband want in that situation? Does he just want forgiveness? Does he just want her to say, okay, I forgive you, and then he'll be like, Phew. and then he's going to walk off and play golf? Now, what he wants isn't just the forgiveness. He wants his spouse on the other side of that forgiveness. He wants that forgiveness to remove that barrier so they can be united again. So they can share that meal in, in unity again. Okay, that's what we want is not just the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus Christ. We want the God on the other side of that forgiveness. We don't just want to be forgiven and then go on about our lives without acknowledging God or getting close to God. The object of the whole, all of this Christianity is the glory of God and his people, us enjoying him forever. Okay, a big part of that is growing in what Paul refers to here as the wisdom of God, that being transformed by the renewal of our mind as we continually, every day, test things out by, well, what has God said about this? What does the Bible say about this? That kind of growth is expected. That kind of growth is, is natural for the Christian. So wisdom, as we talk about it in this passage, we're referring to the knowledge of God and his ways. Now, I just want to point out two things about this wisdom in this passage for this Sunday. The first is this. It is a secret and hidden wisdom. Okay? A secret and hidden wisdom. That's what he calls it there in verse 7. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. Now, I want to read again verses 6 through 10. And look in these verses at the hidden nature of this wisdom, at the secretive nature of this wisdom. Paul writes, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had... They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. What I want us to remember as we look here and are reminded that 
the wisdom of God is a secret and hidden wisdom, is that the wisdom that we enjoy, that we grow in as Christians, is altogether distinct from the wisdom of the world. It's completely different from the wisdom of the world. Okay? It is not just a higher rung of the same ladder. Okay? The wisdom of the world does not lead you into the wisdom of God. They're totally separate. If the wisdom of the world is a ladder, the wisdom of God is a 747. You're not going to get there climbing the rungs of the wisdom of the world. It's completely separate, completely distinct. Okay, this is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. It's totally different. It's also not just an additional wisdom to add to our collection of other wisdoms. Okay, if, if your wisdom, your life understanding, picture it as a bookshelf, God's wisdom is not just another book on that shelf. Helpful in addition to Socrates and Freud and, and whoever. Okay, it's altogether different, altogether distinct, altogether separate. It is not a wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age. It is a secret and hidden wisdom of God. These are the things that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, uh, no heart of man has imagined until God revealed it. Now, this is one reason I don't really feel comfortable incorporating secular wisdom into the way we go about being Christians and the way we go about being the church. I'm not very comfortable with it because I think it kind of neglects this clear teaching right here. Um, There's a temptation, those of you who are engaged and really do want Doolin's Grove to grow or the Advent Christian denomination to grow, there's a temptation to say, well, this is all well and good, but I'm going to step out over here to these leadership books from secular thinking or these organizational structural teachers or, you know, in counseling, I'm going to step away from this into the secular psychological realm and get wisdom from there because this is all well and good, but we need more. I'm uncomfortable with that. You know, I've been to bookstores. I've been to training seminars where Christian leaders are trying to help other Christian leaders move forward with their churches. And very little scripture is even mentioned. I think that that is a real folly. I think that is a real mistake. We have to be very careful. Remember, Satan's not going to show up dressed in red with horns and, a, and the, I want to say a pitchfork, but it's not a pitchfork. It's more like a trident. He's not going to come that obviously. He's going to try to sort of creep in. It's going to be things that are in of themselves okay. You know, I don't think secular leadership books are evil. And in fact, I actually really have a fascination with those things. I read those things. I've told you before, I really like marketing and I read those blogs and I listen to those podcasts, but I'm under no delusion that those things are the way that we're going to move forward as a church because God has given us a different wisdom. God has given us a divine wisdom. He writes in Isaiah 55, 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. You know, mankind's ways are not evolving until they finally reach divine ways. They're over here. They're separate. They're different. One thing I like about the way God has arranged things like this is that it levels the playing field. 
Okay, everybody who steps through that threshold and becomes a Christian is starting all over. They're starting completely fresh. They don't bring their wealth of wisdom to the table. You know, God doesn't look at our resumes before he allows us into the church. Because when you become a Christian, you become like a baby. Spiritually, you're just starting. You're just now alive to God. You're just for the first time alive to God. And it, it levels the playing field totally. That's why across uh, the world and throughout history, the church is made up of people of every socioeconomic level because really we're all in the same boat once we're inside that door, once we've given our lives to Jesus Christ and been made new. You know, Forbes magazine puts out these lists of the most powerful people. In 2014, you know who their most powerful person was? Any guesses? Vladimir Putin. Okay? Vladimir Putin. So let's just say Forbes is right, and in human standards, he is the most powerful person in the world. Um, Now let's say you, on your vacation to Russia, run into him at the resort, and you share the gospel with Vladimir, and he comes to Christ. And you baptize him right there in the pool, and you know, he, he goes to his nearest church and he's a Christian now. Okay, when he enters that church, the church did not just gain this new power player. All right, now we can get moving. We've got Vladimir. No, he's a little baby. And the stay-at-home mom who's been following Jesus for 50 years is the powerful figure. And she can take him under her wing and start to disciple him and train him. So all of our... Um, human perspective accolades really don't mean much in the kingdom of God. It's all flipped upside down. We're le- it's like we're learning a new language. We're learning a new, a completely new way. I hope the Lord would enable one of you guys to evangelize Vladimir Putin. He could do it. So the first thing I want to point out from this passage is that Our wisdom as Christians is a secret and hidden wisdom. It's not just a further extension of human wisdom. It's something altogether more glorious and different. The second and last thing I want to point out to you is that it is revealed by the Spirit. That's what he says in verses 10 through 12. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Now this is bizarre. This is bizarre. Okay, I've told you before, my, one of my fleshly tendencies, I tend to be a very naturalistic kind of thinker. I don't mean I'm like whole foods hugging trees. I mean, I tend to think everything has a natural explanation. I'm very skeptical of supernatural explanations. And I'm, I'm growing in that. The Lord has showed me time and time again uh, where I'm wrong in that. But for someone like me to read that, it's just it's so out there. First... Who or what is the Holy Spirit? We don't talk much about the Holy Spirit. Uh, Many of us think that the Holy Spirit is a thing, a what, but it's actually a who. He's referred to as he in the Bible. 
Okay? The Bible presents the Holy Spirit on the same level as the Father and the Son, as the third person of what's known as the Trinity. Now, we're not going to open up that doctrinal Pandora's box and get into all that right now. But here's how the Bible presents the Holy Spirit. It presents him as omnipresent, everywhere present. It presents him as omniscient, all things knowing. It presents him as omnipotent, all-powerful. It presents him as eternal, and it calls him God. Okay, some of the names that you'll see used of the Holy Spirit in the Scripture are the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Eternal Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, the Spirit of Grace, the Spirit of Glory, the Spirit of Life, the Spirit of Wisdom and Revelation, the Comforter, the Spirit of Promise, the Spirit of Adoption, and the Spirit of Holiness. Now, this passage today presents the Holy Spirit in a fascinating light. It's a passage that I don't think I ever really studied before getting ready for this sermon, to be honest with you. It presents the Holy Spirit as being to God what your spirit is to you. Okay, what your spirit is to you, so the Holy Spirit is to God. That's how he presents it here. Now, what's amazing about it is that the Holy Spirit is given to us as a gift. Now, you can't give your spirit to someone as a gift, but God is God, and he can give his spirit to his people as a gift. My mind is like starting to twist into itself like a pretzel just trying to understand the glories of all this. Have you ever wished that just for a moment you could help someone else understand you, just help someone else understand what you're thinking, what you're feeling? Wish there was some way that you could hook up some, some electrodes to your mind and their mind to where all their senses are seeing what you see and hearing what you hear and feeling what you feel. That's in essence what the Lord has done for us when he gives us his Holy Spirit. Look back at verse 11. Who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So, uh, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. You know, God doesn't just want to save you and forgive you. And he doesn't just want you to say, you're my God, I worship you. He wants you to understand him. And it never occurred to me until studying this that that desire that we have for other people to understand us, that's probably part of God's image in us because he wants us to understand him. Now, he doesn't want that as this needy being that's like, oh, I wish somebody just understood me. He wants that because he is glorious and there is no better good for his people than for us to understand him. But growing in our understanding of him is what Christian maturity is. There is no source of wisdom like the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit puts us directly in touch with the mind and thoughts of God himself. There's no source of wisdom like that. You know, I've gotten lately to where I like to read biographies. Um, I never used to read biographies. But I've gotten to where I like to. I like to read biographies of men like uh, Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, I've got this one giant one about Theodore Roosevelt and uh, President Taft. I know it probably sounds really boring. It's a huge book, but 
What I like about it is the personal bits where it helps me understand who were these these guys that became president. Um, I'm on a waiting list for a biography about the Wright brothers at the library because I skimmed a little bit of it at Costco. And it just looked really interesting to figure out who are these guys that learned how to fly? I mean, what were they like? Uh, I find that very interesting. You know, what we have as Christians is not, we're not given like a really good biography about God. We're given direct access into the thoughts of God himself. I mean, that's a glorious, glorious reality. What source of wisdom comes close to the Holy Spirit? Connecting us with the very mind of God who not only does he understand reality pretty well, he created it. Church, I just want to leave you with that thought. I want to leave you with the gift that we've been given through Jesus In Jesus Christ, we have access to the secret and hidden wisdom of God revealed by the Holy Spirit. Imagine yourself living more and more in light of this wisdom rather than your own or the paltry wisdom of this world. Imagine what difference that will make as you grow more and more mature as a Christian. Imagine how you are going to change as a father and a mother or son or daughter or husband or a wife or a employee or a boss or um, imagine how you will change as more and more you learn the wisdom of God given to you by the Holy Spirit. Imagine the difference that's going to make in your decision making, in your emotional life, in your uh, financial dealings. We have been given such a gift. I mean, just receiving forgiveness is amazing. But that's just the beginning. It's unbelievable. So I want us to pray together as we sing this final song. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Break me, melt me, mold me, fill me. Spirit of the living God, move among us all. Make us one in heart and mind. Make us one in love. Humble, caring, selfless, sharing. Let's let this last song be a prayer for more of the influence of the Holy Spirit who reveals to us the secret and hidden wisdom of God. And come next week, and we'll work our way through the second half of this passage, which might be even more glorious than the first half of this passage, if you can believe it. Let's pray together before Meredith comes up and we sing. Father, thank you so much for the forgiveness that we receive in Jesus Christ. And thank you even more In that forgiveness, we find reconciliation with you. Lord, help us not to live our lives separate from you because we don't have to anymore. Help us instead to be always growing more mature as we grow to get to know you and your thoughts and your ways more and more. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, and we just ask that you would help us to receive these blessings through him more. In Jesus' name, amen.